today on a classic compassion radio they're like our family 2019 november one of my closest teammates was killed right next to me during the attacks by the free Syrian army and the outpouring of love of the Kurds was immense. Zhao Sang's photo is many places now in northeast Syria. Through all that conflict, we became very close to doctors and nurses at the front line. We were working together with political leaders and with Christians. So it's like going home. Every village we go to, we have brothers and sisters that are bound together by love and the experience of helping each other under evil and under pressure. We're talking again with David Eubank of Free Burma Rangers. We talked on the previous program about the work that was unexpectedly dumped in their laps in Afghanistan because they were willing and because world circumstances just worked that way. And so, David, welcome back to Compassion Radio. Yeah, I'm here. Thank you, Brahm, and thanks for loving us. And today we're going to talk about Iraq and Syria. That's where you were intending to go in the first place, and then you got kind of sidetracked over to the work in Afghanistan. So you're a couple months behind your original plans. You're leaving tomorrow, as we record this program, to head to Iraq. What's coming next for you? You've been in and out of there so many times. You've been under fire. You've been in the aftermath. You've been trying to rebuild. What's the agenda this time? Well, thanks for asking. And and also, dear listeners, please pray for us (laughs) that we get there, and if God wants us, and that we can get from Iraq into Syria, because our main desire and plan for this mission is to go to Iraq first and then go to Syria. But we need permission to cross (laughs) for us, our vehicles— and our local Iraqis. So please pray, (laughs) and I'll report. Amen. We fly tomorrow to Iraq, and then on Saturday, we hope to cross into Syria. That part of Syria-Iraq border is controlled by our friends, the Kurds, but Mm -hmm. there's lots of policies and shifting rules and permissions. We just need them. We have no rank. We are like Mm -hmm. mouse between elephants. But we pray to God who made us all, mice and elephants. Anyway, we hope to cross into Syria, and our purpose is to link back up and reinforce and encourage our local Syria Freedom Ranger team, which is comprised of new believers. They were Muslim, and they're Christian. Amen. The leaders are, and two or three of the others are, and one guy is coming to church, especially the Christian leadership, to encourage them, because they've been going this whole year providing relief while we've been in Burma. Our other mission is to provide direct relief to the many displaced people. There's over 200,000 people still displaced in areas that don't get help along the front lines, which is basically the M4 highway of northeast Syria with Turkish-supported Free Syrian Army, a proxy force. Many of them are al-Qaeda, al-Nusra, some are ex-ISIS. And this is a pretty vicious force fighting against the Kurds and the Christians. Our job is to go there not to fight, but to help the people who are under attack, spiritually and also materially, food and medicine, blankets. Our other job that we have is, with the help of some friends, we were able to rebuild the Armenian Apostolic Church, the biggest church in Raqqa, Syria, that ISIS had destroyed. And Raqqa was the capital of the ISIS caliphate. They destroyed this church. And afterwards, with help of many people around the world, we were able to rebuild that church. So we want to go back to dedicate that church. Wonderful. That's an old Armenian church with just a few Armenians left. And then we plan to go along the border with Turkey to different new Christian churches that have grown up. Mm, Good. And when ISIS attacked, people fled ISIS, hid in Turkey, but they were sheltered by Christians in churches, which is a small minority. They came to Jesus through that, and they went back to Syria when it was liberated. That part was liberated from ISIS, and they started churches. So we have humanitarian mission, spiritual mission, dedicating a church, 
helping as we can. We're going to buy an ambulance for one community of many refugees who need an ambulance. That's another donor helped us do that. So we have a lot of purposes. We plan to spend the month of November there. Marvelous. Which sounds like there are finally some opportunities opening up that were not there last couple times around. Yes, sir. But you also did do some essential services. And we talked on our previous program about how that was documented in a feature film that made it to the theaters, which I had the privilege of watching myself. and It was phenomenal. Thank you. When you go back there and look for those stories, are you expecting to be bumping into people that you saw on the last few times around? Oh, yes, sir. They're like our family. I mean, it was 2019, November, that one of my closest teammates, a man from Burma named Zhao Sang, was killed right next to me during the attacks by the Free Syrian Army attacking the Kurds. Yeah. And he was killed next to me. His funeral was held there afterwards. And the outpouring of love of the Kurds was immense. And his photo, Zhao Sang's photo, is many places now in northeast Syria. Hmm. Through all that conflict, we became very close to doctors and nurses at the front line that were working together with political leaders and with Christians. And so it's like going home. Yeah. It's like every village we go to, it's like we have brothers and sisters that are bound together by love and the experience of helping each other under evil, and under pressure. So, yes, we try to see everybody that we know there. And it takes about a month to do that. Yeah, just the greeting alone would be a month. Right. I've noticed every time I travel to another country that God always seems to give kind of that inner tingle, the, the kind of radar that says, you will see the kingdom and you will perceive it. So when you go someplace, you just say, okay, God, who are your people here? And it just organically happens that you see something in their eye, the way they turn to look at you. Something says they're God's person. And when you know that, you just know it. And so from that point on, you're home. It sounds like there's a lot of those people that God has been raising up in the midst of all this strife. And you get the benefit, the joy of actually celebrating with some of the people that God cared enough to reach across the world and save in the worst circumstances possible. Well, I love your eyes. I love how you see things. That's how I want to see things. And you just encourage me to be even more careful <laughs> to look and pray. Yeah. But you're right. We meet those people. I was in this one village that's been shelled many times in Syria all Muslim. And after a kids program, this guy walks up to me and I said, do you want a Bible? And he goes, yes. And his name is Abdul Sadat. And I gave him this Bible. And then he texts me later hmm. and he said, thank you for coming and showing God's love. Thank you for serving him and being an ambassador of love and mercy. Thank you for showing us a new way. Hmm. Thank you for telling us about Jesus. Thank you for standing with us in bad times. This is what we love about you Americans. That's what he said about you Americans. Mm. That teacher in that school at the front line has become a very close friend. And every time we go, he helps organize all the kids' programs for us. And he is a believer. Mm. He hasn't been baptized yet. He's kind of quiet about it because it's pretty dangerous in that area to become a Christian. But he is a believer, and he's a new brother. Oh, I hope you get a chance to have a reunion with him when you go back on this trip. Please pray for that, too. Thanks. you got a lot of things to pray for, but <laughs> yeah. I just put that up there. Well, it's, we popcorn prayer along the way, so I always invite my Compassionate Radio family out there to be praying as you listen. And if you don't catch it all or catch the names to lift to Jesus, go back there and listen to the podcast on the website. That's the best way to catch up and really let it sink in. All the opportunities that are ahead of us to help build and encourage and sustain the kingdom of God around the world because it's there and you get to find it and call it out by its name when you travel, David. And I'm so proud of you for that. When you're there in Syria, what's the thing you've always wished you could do there that you haven't had a chance to do yet? 
Well, it really comes to a couple of cities that were taken when the Turkish supported an invasion by the Free Syrian Army in 2019 that displaced a total of 400,000 wow. Kurds and Christians from their homes. And these people call me or email me or text me whenever they can saying, when can I go home? Hmm. When can I go to Sarikani? Sarikani is a town. It's also called Ras Alain in Arabic. Sarikani is in Syria, but right on the Turkish border. Hmm. And I went there twice on a rescue mission, so I know the place briefly. But I would love to be able to walk the streets with those people and say, hey, we're home. We're home. Look, you got home. That's going to take a miracle. That's the biggest place I'd like to see. And then personally, if Syria changes enough, I'd love to go see the Mediterranean. It's got to be beautiful over there. But that's over <laughs> yes. in the side side. That's just for fun. Well, someday we'll be able to walk freely from Damascus yes. to Jerusalem to the sea to Babylon. There would be peace and the freedom of travel that peoples will finally rediscover their roots all the way back to the very beginning of our scriptures. And that you would be able to be one of those tour guides because you were there through all of it. Yes, I would love it. Thanks for that. Before we wrap up on Syria and Iraq, tell me in basic terms, as far as you understand it right now, what really is the legacy of the American involvement or conflicts in those countries? Is there anything positive from it? And if so, what is it? And is there anything positive looking forward for the body of believers that are in those countries? Well, I think there are many positive things Americans did and still do, because we still have forces in Iraq and in Syria. I think America cannot change a country. Mm -hmm. We're just people. However, we can make a space, and we have, and still make a space for people in Iraq and in Syria to choose another way. They have the space to disagree. They have the space to build new coalitions. They have the space to maneuver and learn and break through some traditions or ways that just were vicious and brutal to each other. And I think that's the biggest legacy is their space. And then I see... For example, in Iraq, there was just an election. Now, it may not have been perfect, but it was relatively peaceful, and it was relatively democratic. Wonderful. That's a legacy, people getting to choose in Iraq. In Syria, because of U.S. presence, all of northeast Syria hasn't been taken over yet. Mm -hmm. And girls can go to school. Christians can learn in their own language in Aramaic, which they weren't allowed to under Assad. Right. They can learn their mother tongue, which is the same language that Jesus spoke. Yeah. And so these freedoms are important as humans. I've seen there's a, been a wonderful legacy of American involvement there. And then most importantly, the church. American believers going over or praying for people or supporting has strengthened and helped the church in Iraq and Syria. Friends, if prayer matters to God, it should matter to us. We're taking that to heart here at Compassion Radio, especially in what seems like very uncertain times. When we get up... We're praying for you. When we lay down at night, we're thanking God for you. Every time we think of you, we're asking God to provide above and beyond for you and your family so you'd know how much He loves you and cares for you. We're also praying for all those suffering and afraid in this world, not just for protection from physical harm, but from the disease of fear and hopelessness. We pray that this kingdom of which we are part will do its part to continue reaching people with the love of Christ and the certainty of His ability to do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. I hope you'll pray and act with us for these things as well. Especially in times like this, I want to express my deep gratitude to you for allowing us to come to you each day with a word of challenge and comfort, truth and vision. As long as you stand with us and the Lord provides all of us the means to do so, 
we'll be right here each day doing what God enables us to do in supporting you and our Christian family around the world. Again, thank you. It's our strong desire to be going deeper, to go farther, to be braver than we've ever been, and to bring you the stories that you just won't hear anywhere else. Friends, I simply ask that you would keep giving so that we can give back to the world through our strategic ministry partners and to you with inspiring programming on this radio station and over the internet. Here's how. The first and best way to reach us is through our website. It's available 24-7. Our safe and secure order form there will get your gift to the places needed most and we'll do it right away. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. Of course, you can also put a stamp on an envelope and mail your gift to our COMPASSION Radio office, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Again, that's P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. However you give, we'd love to hear more about why you believe in COMPASSION Radio. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. How have you and your family benefited, David, from your experience with those particular believers in the Middle East? Well, our own faith has been strengthened. We're humbled because they suffer a lot. I think we're given a realistic perspective of life and reminded that, you know, we're not going to stay on this earth forever. Hmm. To watch people lose their homes and everything helps you realize, you know, one day you'll lose your home. Either you'll lose it or you'll leave. (laughs) But the things of this earth are temporary. What's the most important is love, love of God and love of each other. They've strengthened my faith that way. And as I was talking earlier, God showed me the difference between justice and revenge and the difference is love. The only way you're going to get justice, the only way you're going to stay free yourself. And then also being able to know people I never knew before, Iraqis and Syrians, and love them, whether they're Kurdish or Christian Yazidi or Muslim, Arab, and that's wonderful to love somebody. It's just fun. So, you know, whether we're riding these super fast Arabian horses with a a Syrian Muslim sheikh and really (laughs) respecting each other because everybody can ride and then loving each other beyond that, able to give him a Bible. And then you know what he handed me? Hmm. I handed the sheikh a Bible. He handed me a glass engraved Lord's Prayer given to him by the Archbishop of Greece from the Orthodox Church years ago. And he said, I want to give this to you. And it's in our office right now. Like, where'd you get that? I got it from a Muslim sheikh who got it from an Orthodox priest. (laughs) And the Muslim said, I love these words. I want to give them to you. So those are gifts from God as well. How God pays it forward in so many interesting ways. Yes. It's fascinating. I've got a couple more minutes on these two countries. I'm going to ask you again to kind of recap for us. When we think about Syria and Iraq, what should we, the church in the West, America especially, be praying for Praying that we would all follow Jesus. You know, right now, Iraq just went through an election, but there's many forces that don't like each other. Sunni versus Shia, inside the Shia, different factions. The Kurds as a minority wanting their place. So I think praying for respect, love, and understanding between all the different factions in Iraq and the right way to govern that country. I think for Syria, the country, you can roughly divide it into two-thirds is from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean. That's controlled mostly by Assad's dictatorship and the Russians, which is not a very free place. 
And then from the Euphrates River east, the one-third of the country is controlled by a coalition called the Syrian Democratic Forces. And that's mostly Kurds, but it's also Christians, Yazidis. That's backed by the Americans. That's the freest place. But then there's a sliver along the Turkish-Syrian border in the north, northeast and northwest, that the Turks invaded to create a buffer area for themselves. And they used local mini-jihadi forces to do it. That's a disaster. That's where the displacement comes from. So I think my prayer is that Syria would be given back to the Syrians. And I think the freest area right now is the one the U.S. supports. I think the Kurdish idea is the freest idea. The Syrians west of the Euphrates, those are mostly not Kurds, so they have to find their own way. But I pray that dictators, Assad changes his heart or steps down and someone else comes up. So those are my prayers. Okay. Last thing I'll ask you about Syria and Iraq. It's one of the few places where you have literally and lavishly spilled blood on behalf of the people you were trying to love and serve, and you've lost people. What is it like to lay down your life for somebody from another culture, people that you have not known until the time you served them? Is it different or unique in a way, different than what you would experience having sacrifice for somebody you've always known? Well, I think it's always easier to sacrifice for someone you love. You know, a mother will generally never hesitate to risk their life to save their child. And families helping families. The further we get away from each other, the less we look like or think like or act like each other, the harder it is to risk your life and everything important to help someone so different. But Jesus' love bridges that gap. I remember crouching under a pile of rubble as bullets were coming in, watching some people trying to rescue this lady. It wasn't my group. It was a different group. It was Iraqis. And thinking, I should go help them. If I step out there, I'm dead. And then these words came to me, big, in front of me. Greater love hath no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. And that just came from Jesus. And it just meant go. Go because he wants you to go. So I went in his power, and I got down between the rescuers and where the bullets were to try to help them. And we were able to get that girl out. This is not the girl who ran behind the tank. This is a whole different story. As you said earlier, it's not even in the movie. It's rescuing a girl named Rahab. Her name is Rahab penned under rubble, surrounded by ISIS in the Battle of Mosul. God's love is what helps you transcend your own prejudices and your own personal responsibilities, and you can gain wider responsibilities. You know, responsibility is the ability to respond, and love gives you a greater ability to respond. And so that's where I've seen that. And, you know, speaking of that, one of my men, Zhao Sang, that I talked about earlier, who died, was killed next to me in a Turkish drone strike in Syria, November the 3rd, 2019. He was killed next to me, and we evacuated him. There was a hole went through his head, through his neck. He was instantly dead. And I remember just somehow praying, oh, for a miracle that he would somehow come back to life. And as I bent over his body to pick him up after the strike, my eyes were drawn involuntarily up, and I saw his face in heaven. That's what I felt. I just saw his face. I've never seen that before. Big and smiling. And it was like his eyes were saying to me, it's great up here. Don't get in a hurry. You're doing a good job down there. Just keep doing it. You're building God's kingdom. Keep doing it. It's important what you're doing. But it's not all there is. This is great up here. And then he smiled at me and disappeared. I was like, whoa, I just saw heaven. And no idea that went that fast. And he looked happy and peaceful. And he wasn't perturbed by what he saw down here. We took his body to the hospital anyway. And we wheeled him in, gave him CPR, oxygen, adrenaline injections, electric shocks, everything you do to try to bring someone back to life. Stopped all the bleeding, plugged all the holes. We worked on him for an hour. And after an hour, the Kurdish doctor put his hand on my hand and said, is it enough? And I said, he's dead, isn't he? And he said, he was dead before you brought him here. But we worked on him as long as you want because he came from Burma 
and risked his life and gave his life for us Kurds. And you came from America and are willing to give your life. So we will work on his body as long as you want out of love and honor for both of you. I was like, whoa, we all started crying. That's family. That's family. And so that's a gift from God in spite of the loss of Zhao. But we know we'll see Zhao in heaven again. And you already have. Yeah, I feel I have. I believe I have. We get to be on the front lines, not just by living through you vicariously and wondering or hoping that we might have that kind of excitement in our lives sometime, but literally putting ourselves in the action because we know that as we pray that God's hand would move, God's hand is going to move where he wants to move it. And he's obviously been moving on the front lines around the world that you've been serving and you've seen it happen. So when we pray for you, when God puts you on our hearts, when God lifts up the name of Burma or Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan and says, pray for that place, we know he's there. So friends, when you pray for David and his free Burma Rangers, you are on the front lines, literally. So let's talk about Burma this time. It's not in the news here much, but there's big news and big challenges there. So let's go from the beginning. Yes, sir. Burma has been in a civil war for 72 years. It's the longest running war in the world right now with a series of military dictators of the majority Burman ethnic group, which is about half the population, fighting against about 100 different groups, really 12 major ones, but many, many other smaller ethnic groups, all of them smaller than the Burmans, but themselves comprising together almost half the population, Hmm. but not necessarily united geographically, politically or relationally. Right. And this war was going on. Well, about five years ago, the dictators in Burma released some prisoners, allowed kind of a democracy, not much, and made more ways for freedom. But after about five years of that, on February the 1st, 2021, this year, the dictators said, okay, that's enough of that experiment. They arrested anybody who'd been elected, and they launched new attacks against the ethnics. And what surprised them, the dictators, when they arrested the democratically elected people, the Burman people themselves that live in the cities in the plains of Burma, the ethnics live in the mountains generally, the Burman people rose up and said, no, 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 no. We like that taste of democracy. We won't give it up. Hmm. And so over 1,100 men, women, and children, Burmans, have been shot down in the streets of Burma now. Thousands have fled to join the ethnics in the mountains. And what's interesting about that, the Burmans say this. Please forgive us, ethnic people, because all these 72 years that you fought, we didn't really think about you because it was our government against ethnic people. Now we know what it feels like to be oppressed by your own government. Please forgive us and help us. And the ethnics have accepted them and said, we forgive you. Join us because together we need each other for Burma. The Burmans and the ethnic minorities need each other for a new Burma. It sounds like a first real bridge then between the Burman people and anybody else who is not them. It's the first one I've ever seen, sir. I have never seen the unity that I feel today in Burma. You know, there's plenty of disunity still. There's plenty of people who don't trust and like each other. However, I've never seen this level of cooperation and unity and unity of purpose and humility to ask forgiveness. And that's a new thing and a wonderful thing. So what it meant for us, I was in Burma when it happened, and we were already helping about 4,000 displaced people. And when the Burma army increased their attack, we went up to 200,000 people hiding in the jungle. How are we going to feed them? And then we had thousands fleeing the cities. How are we going to take care of them? And I remember in the jungle one morning just praying to God, God, we need a lot more money to take care of these people. I need more team members. How can we handle this mass? And I felt God tell me this. The problem isn't money. The problem is, do you have wisdom to use what I've given you already? Hmm. 
And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't. I don't. Have I used every resource the best way? I don't think so. I mean, we haven't thrown it away or cheated or lied about it, but do we have enough wisdom to know how to really stretch these dollars out, these sacks of rice out? Who should get them? How do we get them there? I said, no, God, you're right. We don't have that wisdom. I'm not going to ask for any money. Just please give me the wisdom to use what you've given me. Time for loaves and fishes kind of prayers, huh? Yeah, I just said that prayer and I felt peace. Okay, we don't need any more money. I only need to do what you have me do. We're not God. We can't save everybody. Right. And as we prayed that, we found new ways to use our funds and more judicious ways. But then God gave us more funds, hmm. not just us, but other groups as well. And we're able to reach out to most people who have been displaced and give them something, a month of rice, two weeks of rice, some blankets. And that's been wonderful. We have 100 ethnic relief teams in Burma working pretty much nonstop trying to give relief during these heightened attacks. Amazing. Because the coup that started one February that reinstated all the old powers and stripped every shred of democracy away has only grown in its attacks. The military keeps attacking more and more. Villages near us were bombed. They tried to bomb our training camp and missed. They hit the ridge right above us. The situation is worse than I've ever seen it in terms of attacks and displacement. However, there's more hope than I've ever seen. And there's more of a united front between the Burmans that are resisting the Burma government in the cities and the ethnics in the mountains. So I believe... I can't prove it, but I believe change is coming to Burma. Hmm. And the dictators will change their hearts, or they're going to fall or run away or something. That's my prayer, and that's what I believe will happen. There's more coming up from David Eubank of the Free Burma Rangers. And it's the latest news from Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, and Burma. I hope you'll join us for that next program. To hear our podcast and to make your love gift, simply go to our website, CompassionRadio.com. Our toll-free number is 1-800-868-2478. You can also write us and send your gift by mail to Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. I'm Bram Floria. God bless you, friends.